Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. Wherever writing and knowledge meet, there the communication of scholarship is taking place, and there, too, we at Scholarly Communication have our place. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for today's interview with Ken Highland, Professor of Applied Linguistics in Education at the University of East Anglia. His book, Second Language Writing, was published in a second edition by Cambridge University Press in 2019. Ken Highland doesn't need an introduction. If your own research has taken you even briefly into the fields of sociolinguistics, applied linguistics, corpus linguistics, genre studies, discourse analysis, if your job brings you in or near the contexts of EAL, English for Speakers of Additional Languages, EAP, English for Academic Purposes, if your interests so much as touch upon the ethnography of the university and all the rest of academia, well, if any of that describes your work, then you are sure to have had in hand recently an article or a book where at the back in the references one name for certain fills a page, or more, Ken Highland. Ken Highland has written over 250 articles in nearly 30 books. His books go into second and more editions. His articles get published and then get collected. Ken Highland's findings and his interpretations and his views count to many fields. His book, Disciplinary Discourses, makes plain that the writing we academics do, that task and technology that really sets up or, if you will, institutes the entire academic project, project, the book makes plain that our writing is, despite what many disciplinary experts say to the contrary, content knowledge. But our writing is much more too, because academic writing is the enacting of power relationships. It is the drawing of in-group and out-group boundaries. It is the making of appeals for credibility amongst fellow researchers. Academic texts are, when viewed for what they do, just as shaping of academia as are the funding structures, the departmental structures, the very building structures. In fact, writing has its influence all over all of these and is also itself a structure of the academic world. And Ken Highland is too the founding editor of the Journal for English of Academic Purposes, a hub of research in this burgeoning field. And he has served as co-editor at Applied Linguistics, yet another major journal in the fields of linguistics and the English language. It is clear, Ken Hyland is an extraordinarily productive and influential researcher. However, it is also clear that Ken Hyland is an experienced and highly effective teacher. He has taught in Asia, Africa, and Europe. He was previously a professor in London and in Hong Kong, and today, besides serving as a visiting professor in Jilin University, China, Ken is currently Professor of Applied Linguistics in Education at the University of East Anglia. So it is clear Ken Highland is a prominent practitioner and researcher all around, but he certainly enjoys great prominence in second language writing, the topic of today's book, which has also gone in this second edition. As Ken Highland so vividly puts it in the preface, the first edition of this book appeared back in 20, 2003. That seems and indeed is, a long time ago, the same year as the invasion of Iraq and the release of the final film of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Those events seem historically remote now, and second language writing has moved on too. Yes, a lot has moved on, in the field and elsewhere, but Ken Highland has always been at the forefront of the field, and was then, with the first edition of second language writing, and is now again with this thoroughly updated edition of second language writing. The book is like an airport. Picture London Heathrow before the pandemic, of course. From Heathrow, you can get anywhere in the world, right? Well, from the book Second Language Writing, you can get anywhere in the world of its title. You want to teach better reading skills or teach better writing skills, you can get there. You want to create better materials for your courses. You can get there. You want to give better assignments, provide better feedback to your students. You can get there. You believe you have an idea for your own research project. Well, there you can get to. 
Second, language writing is your point of departure, and, to stay in the metaphor, Ken Highland, your pilot and guide. The premise of the book is this. A good teacher is a reflective teacher. The reader encounters throughout the book reflections, small boxes that prompt thinking by putting questions to the reader about the topic at hand. This, you might say, is teacher training and researcher training at a distance. Every chapter ends on discussions, which prompt more thinking, but from a wider perspective, and the reader finds there, at the ends of the chapters, two valuable appendices full of examples, as well as on-point recommended readings. In each case, some five or <clears throat> some five or eight essential titles. As all great books about practical subject matter, second language writing has theory. But the unique thing here is that it's the book's readers who make the theory themselves, and that's called their thinking. The best of teachers will step forth from second language writing, and many an excellent future researcher will take the confidence to get out there and do it from the pages of second language writing. So let's begin today's episode. Ken Hylett in second language writing. Ken, welcome to Scholarly Communication. Thank you, Daniel. Um, and thanks for that um, over-generous uh, introduction. Um, I, I certainly don't deserve all those plaudits. And um, and I think you've been very generous about the book as well. I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, I wanted to write a practical, um, accessible, uh, comprehensive Kind of introduction for for teachers and and um, and researchers who you know who who may wanted to know a bit more about the the topic. I don't I don't see it as um, uh, a, a straight ahead teacher training textbook. Um, you know, I, I was trying to inform myself as much as readers when I wrote when I wrote it. You know, I wanted to update my knowledge. Um, <clears throat> particularly in areas like uh, technology and assessment, which I don't usually publish on. Um, and, and in fact, it was interesting to see how teachers are using Facebook, Twitter and, and, and wikis for collaborative writing. And so there's a lot of sites out there that were, were new to me. Um, as you say, I, 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 was, I was trying to engage um, readers through you know, reflection and um, activities and thinking about what I was what I was writing about. Um, lots of examples, um, you know, screenshots, uh, you know, the kinds of materials that um, that were out there. Um, and I remember um, when I wrote the the first edition, I, I met Alistair Cumming at, at a, a a TESOL conference, and um, and he'd um, he'd reviewed it and said, "Well, where are the where are the teachers' voices?" And and so I, um, you know, I went back and I, I put a lot of quotes in um, because I think, um, you know, I wanted to understand how teachers felt about a lot of this stuff as well, and the problems that they were having, and what they were what they were doing in their classes. So. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's it, the book is a labour of love, really. Um, the other reason I wrote it was to um, to kind of offer a credible alternative to the many texts that follow a process approach to teaching. Um, I wanted to, um, you know, put put genre in in people's faces to um, to, to 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 present a. Um, uh, a way of understanding writing that involves both process and, and genre. So there's a, there's a very good book by Ferris and Hedgecock that you may know um, that comes closest to this book, but it does omit key issues like, like technology. And it has a very strong process-oriented approach to writing. Um, and a kind of um, US composition class orientation. Um, and I, I was... I was trying to move away from that um, because I, I think perhaps non-Americans might find that a bit um, a bit alien because um, um, it's it's really only in the U.S. where there are dedicated credit-bearing um, composition classes. You know where where writing classes exist around the world, they're usually more um, 
uh, EAP or ESP oriented um, for students. So um, it, it's really a, 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 an, an introduction with attitude, really. I want a, a clear stance that writing involves both composing skills and knowledge about texts and about the contexts that surround texts, um, which include the readers. So, um, yeah, it was a, a, a mission, really. Well, I, I would say in many ways a mission accomplished. Uh, and also uh, what really stuck out for me was how you did, as you just say, stake the ground very uh, clearly uh, in, in the opening chapter with uh, on writing and teaching writing. You go through sif- six different focuses that have traditionally, let's say, caught readers' attentions or be in the way that, uh, that uh, teachers normally go about teaching writing. Um, you mentioned one process what being one of the dominant ones clearly since at least the 1980s and very much in America. Um, you propose certainly genre, as you're saying as well, as being an important point. Uh, the others that uh, come up there about uh, expression, textual function, structure, or even content, could you maybe just in a word or two give us a mix of these and and, and what leads and what leads us then to to genre as being such a useful approach? I, I think um, I think chapter one, you know, I, I wanted to be as fair as possible, but it, um, it it a lot of those approaches are now historical. The functional approach, um, you know, was was very um, was very big in ESP in the sixties and seventies. Um, you know, the the functions that particular um, structures and um, uh, patterns of language were expressing. Um, the expressivist, uh, I think, is, is, is rooted in um, early American process models um, before um, Flower and Hayes and, and um, um, Barita and Scardamalia um, brought the cognitive aspects into it and, and made it a more... Um, a, a kind of more academically respectable scientific uh, model. The the idea that writers um, were trying to express uh, personal meanings, their their creativity. I mean, that still exists in process to a large extent through the idea of voice and um, uh, and, and self expression, but. Um, but it's it's become more sophisticated now in the in the more cognitivist uh, model. Um, I think. Um, I mean, you mentioned that process is dominant. I, th- I think that's probably true now since the nineteen eighties. Certainly in the US, um, around the world, it might be the case that um, a lot of writing classes are disguised grammar classes, that they're there to um, uh, get students to practice particular grammar structures. And um, grammar is important. I mean, it's, you know, you can't write without grammar, but it's not, it's not everything. And um, the, uh, um, just arranging the words and the clauses, um, Putting, putting all these in the right order isn't really enough. Uh, you can't say exactly what you want to say um, by just, you know, arranging the grammar. I think this has been a dominant classroom approach. I mean, I've, I've taught in, in many countries and um, this has been very popular. Um, but, um, and, it, and, and it spills over into all kinds of things like, you know, Error correction and 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 the need to for students to to demonstrate competence in in grammar, um, but accuracy you know is only one feature of good writing. It doesn't really on its own make communication. Um, this is how lawyers make their money. They did you know the most explicitly written contracts and legal documents you know are perfectly grammatical but they can still be picked apart um, and given different interpretations so we have to um, we have to think about 
you know, purpose, context, and readers. You know, the go- the goal of writing teachers can't be just training students in accuracy, um, because all texts include what writers assume their readers will know and how they're going to use the text. So the writer's problem is not to make everything explicit through, you know, setting things out with perfect grammar, but to make it explicit for particular readers, um, balancing what needs to be said against what can be assumed. And so we, you know, we need to consider discourse and, um, and, and genre, as you say. And I th- that's, that's the reason why, um, you know, the, the idea of genre has become so, um, so important. Um, I think um, it, it originally it came out of um, Australian primary schools and um, Jim Martin and his colleagues found uh, when they went into schools that the, the, the kids were writing science um, reports in the style of a, of a narrative, of a story because that was the only kind of text they'd been taught to write. So they identified the different genres that uh, students were uh, required to write in the primary school so that they could be more explicitly taught. Um, So, you know, uh, the idea of genre really is that students need that that supporting um, knowledge um, you know, that they can't just learn to write by writing, by, by you know, um, drafting and redrafting. They can't learn to write just by um, focusing on the, on the grammatical product, but what it is that uh, the text is trying to, trying to do, you know, what purpose is it trying to achieve for the writer in what context, you know, how, how is it going to work with particular readers? So, um, you know, that, I think that's that's where the importance of genre comes into into language teaching, and it also, of course, tells us a lot about about language. You know, and what people are trying to do with language. And genre will make most people probably think of literary studies and drama and epic and so on. But of course, uh, what you're describing um, as the genre movement in in, in teaching writing. Um, writing studies or even um, second language writing is clearly something much bigger, as as you're making very clear. And I, I just want to maybe just pause on it for a moment in connection with this idea of process again. I mean, genre as itself is is a thing that is a community. It's social, but it's also a thing that is, as you just stated, is is linguistic. It's communication, and community and communication are clearly going together. So maybe to become less abstract, if you're in biology. Biologists have a particular way of expressing themselves because they're talking about particular things and they need to do particular things together with their research, through their publications, and so on and so forth. So that is their genre. It's it's kind of all-encompassing. And I suppose one of the things, I'm just going to throw this on top of that and I'll I'll give the floor to you. One of the things that's always kind of thrown me with the process approach is I think anyone who's spent a fair amount of time writing knows that there's a process involved. And when I've looked at all the different models, I have the impression, the distinct impression that things become more complicated by their distinctiveness, the, the, the parts in the process, the names, the, the diagrams, and so on, to a level that you start to wonder, okay, have we not made processes out of processes, epicircles and epicenters out of, <laughs> out, yeah. of, out, of all, out of this larger thing? I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's easy to, to fetishize the process. Um, but I, I mean, process has obviously been important. You know, I think it has, has made teachers feel more professional about what they're doing. You know, here is a, a model of writing and of learning to write that comes with, um, you know, serious cognitive um, credentials. So, you know, we, we, we take it for granted now that the writers have goals, that they, that they plan extensively, um, that they revise. Um, often the revision is in the head before any text has been put down on paper. Um, that they that this planning, drafting, and revising 
and editing is often going on. Is, well, it's recursive, of course, but it's often going on simultaneously. So, um, and th th this constant um, evaluation of what we write in a, in this you know plan write plan um, uh, uh, loop that that we that we you know that, that good writers use. I think the you know the a, lo a lot of ideas that are, that are used by by genre teachers also. Um, are going to, uh, you know, come out of the process approach, you know, brainstorming and outlining, um, drafting, um, feedback on drafts, um, um, and so on. I think one of, the, one of the things that a genre teacher would object to very strongly, though, is the, um, the, the idea that, that Originates in process. I'm not sure if people still follow it in process. Is that the um, that surface corrections that the teacher doesn't intervene until um, the final editing stage? So the the you know the, the the basic model is that the teacher gives the students a um, a topic and then goes and stands in the corner while the students you know write it. Um, so any language intervention comes at the end in the form of editing rather than at the beginning in terms of scaffolding. So, so language is not seen as, as a basic component of writing. Um, so, you know, this might be okay for, you know, well-educated L1 students who come to class, an undergraduate class with, um, with a, a probably you know a, a good um, implicit knowledge of their language and familiarity, at least visual familiarity with a lot of um, different genres that they've come across, um, but and, and and so that they can perhaps draw on that in in writing. But a second language student um, is is coming without those resources. And so a, a genre approach, which puts an emphasis on providing students with the linguistic and rhetorical resources to, to develop a, a particular kind of text, is in a better position. Um, so, I, I, you know, we, there's this discovery-based approach, you know, you discover meaning while you're, while you're writing, um, doesn't make the language that students need explicit. So um, the students uh, can only really discover the appropriate forms that they need in the teacher's feedback, and that comes at the end, so it's really too late. So um, I think, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the issue is really that all writing is not the same. It doesn't always depend on an ability to use universal context independent revision and, and editing practices um exam writing you know isn't isn't multi-drafted and and um and it, it's time constrained um academic and a lot of academic and professional writing is often collaborative um so different writing involves different processes and we we're not always sure what those processes are and the students don't often have the language that they need to do it I think also, you know, as far as teachers are concerned, I wonder where this leaves teachers. Um, in, in some ways, process models disempower the teacher um, because this is a model of, of learning based on, on personal freedom, self-expression, learner responsibility. And all of this might be mm, crushed by too much teacher intervention. So it's a hands-off approach. And because language and text organization tend to be added on to the end of the process as editing, rather than as uh, central resources for constructing meanings, as I've said, students don't have the way of seeing how you know different texts are written for, for particular purposes and audiences. So, um, I, I, you know, it, it, I think now a lot of process teachers will 
be aware of this and will be trying to, um, you know, front load the, the, the writing that they're getting students to do with the sort of structures that they need. But, um, you know, the, 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 this idea of, you know, top-down purposes, you know, you're writing a report or an essay or a, um, a, a letter requires different kinds of uh, rhetorical decisions um, is an important thing for students to learn. And uh, at one point in the book, you also talk about uh, the different tasks that can be done by a teacher to help students learn precise, precisely that, or, or even just writers generally. It doesn't have to just uh, be students. And and of course, one of the greater challenges is is directly in that area that genre opens up for us, the idea of purposes, the idea of um, audience and community. And it's sort of a perennial problem, isn't it, for writers to get their readers or then to somehow step back and see what they've written from their readers perspective i mean this is you know only the best of writers uh, sort of achieve that and and you bring in some great ideas on you know what might be done there uh, the areas of uh, peer review for example uh, are discussed in the book as a, a potential for you know a testing ground if you like i, I wonder what you could say uh, a little bit more specifically about how peer review is useful or writers groups generally. Um, yeah, well, obviously, as you say, it, it, it provides an alternative audience. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of who is, who am I writing this for? Um, what do they know? What do they need to know? Um, what, uh, what, what, what rhetorical expectations do they have of the text? Uh, what do they, what do they believe? You know, do they are they going to disagree with me or, or agree with me? All these things are going to be um, impact the the way that you that you write, and um, and I think you know this um, the idea of peer tutoring is is and 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 peer feedback is is um, is, is a crucial aspect of this. I mean the. I mean, we're fortunate now because we we have you know uh, Web two point zero. We have access to um, uh, resources that allow students to interact and write for and write with um, unknown others around the world. Um, things like wikis, you know, to to collaborate with writers for a wiki forces you to really think about okay who who are the readers of this you know um what do i have to say to make this interesting you know even if it's a um a my hometown kind of um uh website you know um or or you know foods of uh, of of uh, of china you know it um how to um how to express that in in ways that are going to engage um, a reader, and also demonstrate your competence and your the validity of, of of being able to say these things. You know what makes you know why should we listen to you? So um, these these things involve language, and um, uh, I, I think um, you know the internet is a great boon. Um, the um, Peer writing. I mean, I, I. I mean, one of the the the, the problem is that, that obviously peers need um, uh, they need some kind of training. They need some kind of um, uh, input. Um, they need um, they need the resources to help each other. Um, otherwise, it becomes you know. The blind leading the blind, um, focusing on surface features because they don't have the knowledge of the rhetorical aspects of writing. So, um, you know, uh, um, these these aspects um, uh, are, are going to be important, and you know, particularly not just in writing, but in terms of of peer feedback on writing that's done individually. So. Um, you know, te- what's got face validity? You know, what has credibility? Um, the teacher's feedback, 
you know, um, but to encourage students to trust one another means um, means providing them with the the resources that they that they need to to, to have confidence in each other. Um, so you know, there's a lot of research which shows students trust peer comments less than teacher comments, and um, it, it the, the teacher is going to be more effective in that in that area. But as you say, the the, the teacher is one audience, and um, uh, what uh, uh, students often need is the is practice in in either writing for real audiences, you know, letters to the newspaper, um, writing for on, a, on, a, on a blog, or um, writing for, for general audiences that, um, you know, uh, uh, magazines or whatever. Um, and what, um, um, you know, the, it, it's, it benefits both parties as well. It, it benefits the reader as well as the as the writer because the, um, the, the 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 reader has some sense of uh, you know the struggles that the writer has and how um, how that might impact their own writing as well. Um, I think um, um, I mean if, the issue of peer feedback. Uh, is particularly interesting here because um, the, the the research is positive when when peer training is involved, um, but it, it's not conclusive on the central issue of whether peer response is an effective means of improving second language uh, written products or, or or even revising strategies. But um, the, I read a good, very good paper um, uh, some years ago. Uh, it's called something like "Better to Give Than Receive," and um, it was an experimental study where one group of students reviewed anonymous papers but received no feedback over a semester, and the receivers received feedback but didn't review the other students' writing. And an analysis of the of the samples at the beginning and the end of the semester showed that the Givers made more significant gains on their own writing than the receivers. So, you know, there's a lot of of benefits in um, in, in in students reviewing um, as readers the the work of of, of their peers. Um, I think I've gone off topic there, but no, um, no, that's a, that's actually a fascinating finding, and it, it's directly on topic for me. I, uh, I, I, and also in a way, it's intuitive if you think about it, because yeah, isn't isn't the isn't the reader in a sense who's in the peer group who's got the paper of the other person in front of them, let's say slightly more engaged because the other person turns them automatically into the student. And I mean, we've all been students. This is nothing against students, but you just don't really pay attention the same way when you're not speaking, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, interestingly, with this um, uh, with this study, they found that the the givers at the those that gave the feedback at, um, at lower proficiency made more gains than at higher proficiency. So, you know, this is not something you know to give to your best students. This is something that can benefit um, uh, students at a lower uh, proficiency level. One other thing that um, I, I've noticed in, in, in the use of peer groups is that if the class is also organized as the way that I teach here in Heidelberg, um, and my listeners will know, I'm talking always about my <laughs> teaching here in Heidelberg, if, if, the, uh, um, if the course is organized around one-to-one sessions, my experience has been that the students who then go off into the groups of three or four have a sort of model that they're working with because they're used to working with the you know the writing professional in that scenario and it it it, tra- it seems to translate anyway um quite well mm. over no that that sounds a, a, an excellent idea i don't know i haven't seen that that done so you're talking about um first of all uh, uh group consultations around text and then one-to-one following that Actually, the other way around. So oh, no. essentially, okay. yeah, essentially, essentially, they're used to already the one-to-one sessions, and then the same group of say twelve will then break up into groups of three, and they've all had a week or more of one-to-one sessions with with me or any other um, teacher here. And let's say the technique has they've lived through it in a sense, and um, 
Yeah. Again, I mean, it's inconclusive evidence, as you, as you uh, said, but it, it's anecdotal. And, and in this case, I mean, I can only support it. I now. guess there's more, um, you know, there's, there's a greater um, emphasis on um, on engagement in one-to-one, that, that the, the, the pressure is on the uh, dyad to um, relate to each other, to understand the text, and to um, provide useful feedback on it. So in a, um, in a, a larger group, um, students can hide. Um, they don't have the same investment in, um, in, in, uh, in correcting or, or, or commenting on the work. So maybe there's, there's that element. I mean, I, I think that, that, that conferences are useful, these, you know, one-to-one or, or, or small group, um, you know, not just for the uh, alternative readership, but, um, but, but for the fact that peers are actually reading it, you know, so these, are, these might be um, uh, perspectives that matter, you know, you don't, you don't really want to make yourself look um, weak with, uh, with your mates. Um, but, um, and, and they've found that research, you know, shows that when these things are successful, um, these oral conferences not only lead to revisions in, in subsequent drafts, but can go on to have more lasting effects on improving writing in, in later, um, assignments. Um, but, um, you know, this, this, I think this all involves careful, careful management of the interaction. Um, they, particularly if it's done by distance, um, you know, if it's done online, uh, you've got to minimize threats that students face and their self-esteem. Um, there's a, uh, um, Sorry, I'm listening to my phone ringing in the background. Um, <laughs> That's a nice song. That's all yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I know it's a spam call. I I just know it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the um, I mean, the, the issue with with uh, with with teacher um, student conferences, of course, is that they consume considerable amounts of time, um, and require the kinds of interactional skills from, from both teachers and students that haven't really been fully defined. Um, perhaps it's a less threatening environment where peers are relating to a text. Um, students from some cultures, in, um, um, particularly in Asia where I've worked, are not always confident um, in making um, you know, in, in, in questioning teachers, in challenging their views, in, in making the most of uh, the opportunities that, that one-to-one negotiations offer. But with a, a student, that, that these interactions become um, perhaps more, um, a little bit less threatening, um, as long as the student has the, uh, um, the, 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 well, the resources to, to be able to discuss texts. And I think coming in with a, a crib sheet of some kind, um, you know, um, name two things that you, that you liked about this paper, two things that you think could be improved, you know, what's the main point? Um, look at how many ideas are in the paper, how were the transitions accomplished, were these successful, you know, so that... There is a there is something to focus on rather than simply, you know, um, circling all the all the grammar errors. And I mean that is I would also I I would I would say from my own experience anyway one of the advantages that you get from the one to one session because you've established also. I mean, clearly you can provide these resources, which I I think are very much um, necessary, so that the you know the student has something to look to um, when when times are tough and they're just <laughs> sitting across from this paper and they're looking for the or something else in the wrong place. Um, but when you, you what, as you say also in in the book, um, second language writing, that the teacher needs to be reflective, and I this for me was one of the 
brilliant moments in the book. And it just comes back uh, again and again throughout it because I realized that, yeah, that's what makes a good teacher, not just in writing generally, but um, but definitely in writing. And I think if there's a reflective teacher teaching that way, it can encourage reflection also in, in, in the students or in the learners and in a you know, writers group scenario, that's precisely what you need is people who are just thinking about thinking on writing, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I I mean I I mean good teachers come in all shapes and sizes. Um and um it's you know, there's uh it's a question of rapport with students, um, your attitudes to learning, um, your flexibility in class, a, a kind of sense of achievement when it when it goes well um i mean i think that you know it's a it's a a laundry list the skill set but i think reflection comes at the top because it requires um uh um it requires continual professional development it requires um a, a, a teacher to be aware of the options available to do what they um, to do what they can um, in the best way that they can do it, you know. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of research out there. You, it, it's daunting to you know to have um, twelve hours of classes a week and then go home and read the literature. I mean, I think you um, teachers have different interests. You know, some want to know, uh, explore how impact that certain um, approaches might might have on their teaching others are interested in the um, the actual texts that students have to write how can they learn more about those and how can they um, help students to uh, come to terms with them um, and um, and express themselves better in 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 those genres so um, you know and and I think the um, um, I think the, the, the you know this is this is continual um, action research really you know how if I you know why did that work why didn't that work what um, what could I do differently uh, in this situation next time um, you know so so when you know after a class or after a course teachers getting together um, discussing you know what 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 goes what went well what didn't go well how how you know how the course could be improved what uh, what things worked um uh observation not observation for appraisal but observation to learn go into your colleague's class how does it um you know what's what's that person doing differently to to what you're doing um going to conferences um you know, little little things, um, little changes in the classroom. Um, you know, less, uh, uh, um, more, more uh, giving them more time to write um, um, an introduction, or um, or, or or structuring, um, or um, I don't know, just doing grammar exercises. Um, of structures that might be or will be useful in a particular part of a, um, a report or a, a narrative, for example. So, um, you know, is this going to make a difference? So, reflection is 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 important, but it need you know reflection on what you're doing informed by the options that are available. So that means reading, talking to colleagues finding out about um about your your discipline and I, th I think you know we we all get exhausted we go home after a day's work and you know we 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 put on ncis or whatever you know we don't uh want to uh engage with uh work anymore um but it um it, it doesn't need to be a 24 hour a day reflection it it, it it's a um, it's really an attitude, an attitude to teaching. Um, how can I learn from this experience? And I think you encourage that wonderfully. And this is, again, for me, besides the reflection point, another one of the unique things in the book is that, I mean, there's an entire chapter dedicated to teachers researching. Now, 
this this isn't something that's you know on the front page of most teachers manuals and yet it just dovetails so perfectly with the idea of being reflective um, and you talk about all levels of research whether or not it's a you know a small gathering of of data or if it's a theoretical study whatever the interests or the needs of the teacher happen to be but it certainly is a huge encouragement um, to teaching and in the area of writing itself in particular where we're talking about a field that is, I would say, still after all these decades, still in a lot of ways discovering itself, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Everyone, everyone can make a contribution. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's, there's always been this, this um, dichotomy, hasn't there, between ivory tower research, which is the, 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 the the practice of of experts who work in universities and uh, um, you know wear gowns and, and and flat caps and there's the the teaching which is a, a, a practical hands-on um, uh, uh, everyday activity and um, I think the idea of of reflection or research is tries to bring those things together. Um, and if it does seem daunting to do research, then enlist colleagues, you know, do do something together. Um, and, and research doesn't need money. It, it, it generally needs a bit of time, but you don't need to, um, uh, you know, hire uh, expensive equipment or research assistants or whatever. Um, you can just uh, explore things. There's, there's, I mean, there's so much on the Internet. Um, um, the corpora. I mean, I think a lot of teachers get daunted by, you know, corpora. What can I do with this? Well, um, you 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 can collect. Um, you know, instead of um, giving your students assignments back to them um, with with corrections at the end of the um, uh, week, you you can um, collect them together as a corpus and go go through them or get the students to um, interrogate the corpus, looking for uh, um, particular forms or asking them questions about, all right, how did, you know, what are, what are common um, uh, transition words? What is, um, what, uh, um, what verbs are used to, to talk about um, um, uh, 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 citing? You know what? What can you say instead of say? So there's, um, you know, it, it, research can be very simple, but it, it 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 it's always informative, and 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 actually, with something like a corpus, you always learn something new when you look at a corpus, whether it's a student corpus or um, an, an expert corpus. Um, and there are plenty of corpora. Um, the the coca corpus um it's free it's uh it it's it's massive um it it's uh, uh categorized by by genre um you can compare different um genres the, the use of words or phrases in different genres and it's it it's all available there i mean and, and the internet is a is a uh, a, a corpus that can be searched um I mean, the possibilities are, are endless, but also with teaching, you know, um, what difference does it make if I um, if I wait an extra thirty seconds before getting a response to a question about about that I've asked about a text? You know, um, the research can be as 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 um, as complex or as simple as you want to, you know, the time you want to give it, but it's generally gives you something back. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I mean, while you were just speaking there and talked about the corpus, it, it just got me thinking, the corpus is the way, isn't it, that the texts, you know, the functions and the structures that you said were, let's say, an earlier stage as to how writing was taught, sort of return inside of genre teaching. 
isn't it? It's one of those ways that we can, let's say, as objectively as possible, see, well, what is the language that this community uses and focus very, very clearly on the language in a way that, you know, people from the 1970s also would have understood, but with tools that, you know, would have blown their minds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, you, I guess you don't want to turn your engineers into discourse analysts, you know, and they wouldn't thank you for it. But um but everybody has some interest in in writing, um, particularly if it's their own writing or the text that they are expected to write well. And so some investigation of those texts. So um, at Hong Kong U, um, we had a, 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 a corpus of PhD um, uh, dissertations, good ones, from uh, uh, all 10 faculties in the university and students were um, taught and encouraged to um, interrogate them. So with worksheets, they can be asked to look at um, um, uh, a corpus of um, a genre that they have to write in their own discipline, and how do, uh, you know, how do t- uh, writers in that field express um, uh, uh, limitations? or significance, or, you know, how do they uh, criticize, you know, and um, these things, uh, you know, these, these are, these are great. Um, um, uh, Other teachers have used of our students to collect corpora of their own work. So they collect corpus of their own writing, and then um, analyze it to see how, well, perhaps compare it with, with, um, you know, very proficient expert text in that um, in that genre in that field so um, there's a lot that can be done I mean even if uh, a teacher is is using a corpus to inform themselves about you know hedging or, or boosting or citations or the use of I or whatever um, um, it, it, it's there and 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 now we have grammars and dictionaries based on corpora so the you know the information that we have about language in different genres um, is 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 enormous, and the corpus is probably one of those tools that, um, as you'll know, if you're doing a writing in the disciplines program, and this is a sort of a perennial challenge for teachers in that sort of work, um, they're not in their subject field. Yeah, so if I'm over in chemistry or biology, I studied English literature. And I, what I've noticed is that the corpus does give you some reassurance because you're able then to understand, well, how is it that they speak? For instance, one of my... Uh, one, one particular method I use to raise their awareness for what you can do on with online journals, which are themselves in a sense uh, corpora, um, is, well, okay, well, who are my readers? If I'm going to be publishing in this or that journal, who are my readers? And I generally say, okay, well, find your key terms, collect some five to ten, search the journal for it and see, well, what aspects of those in this particular journal are being covered. Now you start to have a feel for how do I begin my introduction? Because you're seeing, well, what is interesting for, to this journal, to this readership in whatever the uh, subject might be. And you can read their introductions and see, well, where do they begin? Because this is, you know, in biology, for instance, one of those things, well, where do I start? <laughs> well, that's right. And um, I mean, I don't think we should underestimate the analytical skills of our students. I mean, they're coming very often from disciplines where, you know, an, an analysis is the is, is, is the main part of what they do. Um, and turning that to language, uh, they're not coming as total um beginners here they 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 have analytical skills they 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 know how to categorize they know how to identify um but the idea of of you know different audiences is is interesting and we've been doing research recently comparing um dissertations with three minute theses the presentation of a of a thesis in three minutes that it's a um, a competition around the world and looking at um the same writers transforming their published research articles into uh, published blogs for a different audience. So there's a different purpose and a different audience, but the same material. And this can help, I think, um, you know, help uh, 
helps students see the the importance of these things. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of contrasts, you know, whether it's looking at how something is done in an L1 or an L2, um, comparing textbook advice with uh, what experts actually do, um, comparing, um, as I say, these different texts uh, about the same thing for different audiences. All these comparisons um, are, are really eye-opening for well, for students and 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 for me. I think for, for you know it's, it's a real thrill to see how how people try and communicate. It really is. Yeah, and um, I want to uh, thank you, uh, Ken. You've been very generous with your time. I, I would like to. Uh, Bring us uh, one more question, though, and and that brings us back also to the uh, title of the book, Second Language Writing. You've you've mentioned L one, L two a few times, and uh, for listeners, of course, that is the language that you're using as your first language, or second, or third, and as and so on, um, depending on how lucky you've been in your life and <laughs> how many languages you've been able to learn. Uh, um, but uh, I suppose the the question is is why not just um, writing? So what is it that's so distinct <laughs> what is it that's so distinctive about the second and first language writer if I might just throw one more prompt in there I've, I've heard plenty of uh, talk about the idea that um, whichever language you happen to learn writing in you've learned writing and that skill transfers across languages better than the other way around having learned a language and then another language and then from one to the other trying to become a better writer yeah, this is, um, I mean, that's a really difficult question to end on. Now, uh, the, uh, Very sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's, um, I think there's enough evidence around now to persuade us that writers differ in some of their culturally influenced writing practices and that these differences um, show up in preferences for particular text features, for ways of structuring arguments. Um, I mean, we have different, um, um, I mean, I think culture is often a dirty word for some people. They prefer the world to be sort of blandly homogenous, you know, the McDonaldization of the world. But there are different cultural schemata, um, you know, the intercultural rhetoric ideas, um, of Ulla Connor and so forth, that um, that people come to an act of writing with different assumptions about what they're trying to do. They have different um, uh, ways of doing it. Um, I mean, there's nothing to say that uh, that second language writers can't write uh, in a, in a second language as as well as first language writers can, but there is. Um, um, there is a difference in terms, I think, of uh, how people approach text. I mean, there's differences in um, conceptions about what knowledge is, um, about what writing is, about how we learn, about um, how, you know, what the teacher should be doing to improve my, my writing. Um, so different expectations. Um, I mean, Lav Enwenger talk about situation, uh, situated cognition. So learning is tied closely to culture. And I think writing is also tied closely to culture. So setting and activity are inseparable to, to learning uh, how to write. And um, we might be making a mistake if we think that all writing is the same and expect that our students' prior experiences of writing have prepared them for our classroom practices. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of different scripts out there, for example. There's um, texts are valued in different ways, uh, different um, kinds of um, uh, argument structures are prioritised. doesn't mean that, that these... Uh, different ways of writing are, um, are, are um, exclude people who write in another way. They're available to everybody, but we have preferences, I think. Um, also, of course, um, you know, whether 
L1 and L2 writing is the same depends on what writing is going on. I don't think writing is a single thing. It's done, as I've been saying, to achieve purposes, and these differ by um, situation um, and in response to a particular context. So, um, you know, the conventions of particular that a particular community expects are going to be are going to be different. Um, but I, I, you know, the idea of of L one and L two is is, you know, sort of is is not entirely um, uh, useful in some ways. Um, I think uh, you know we've tended to um, see L uh, second language writing as a thing. It must exist because uh, as something separate to L one writing because there's a whole industry surrounding it you know um there's um it's a social fact created by the 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 the, the weight of theses books um conferences um journal articles and so on so it's it's, it's kind of all this is reified second language writing when so we take it for granted but um but it does put up this dichotomous framing which opposes first and second language writers, treats what they write as more or less unproblematically writing. I, I, I see the point you're making. Um, but I think, I mean, the, the idea of second language writing is reassuring in some ways. It provides us with uh, a sense that we're dealing with something that's tangible and manageable. Okay, so this is a bounded category of events. Um, that we can treat in certain ways using, you know, our tried and trusted methodologies. But who are the first language writers that that these are opposed to? Um, what is it that they're writing? I think um, our, our second language writers in the literature are almost always non-native English speakers, and what they're writing is generally some kind of high-stakes academic uh, or professional English of some kind. Um, but the differences um, in the differences between the, uh, the, the this group of L2 writers is is probably greater than their similarities. you know they they come from different uh, proficiencies, learning backgrounds, pyrex, teaching experiences, different motivations, expectations, target needs. Um, they have different disciplines, gender, social class. So there's this rich diversity of, of, of backgrounds and experiences and understandings um, is, is kind of smoothed out by, the, by an understanding of second language writing. Um, I'm not saying that student second language writing doesn't exist. It's a useful tool. It's, it's also helped us to focus on, on what L1 writing is, um, looking at the conventions, the, the, the options and choices available to, to writers, um, to the, the, the impact of community and social purpose on writing. So this is a really hard question, isn't it? I mean, we've got... It, it, yeah, no, it, it, it very much is. And, and, and I probably shouldn't have saved it to last, but, but it's, it's so intriguing. Um, I would just like to give it a minute more because what you're saying is making me really think about... Um, I, I do not throw into doubt the idea of second language writing or first language writing. I, 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 agree, I agree with you entirely that we're dealing with terminology that's useful, but terminology that can also be safe in a way that might not actually get us thinking. So, um, you know, there's both of these things going on yeah. here for sure. But I suppose what what comes to my mind is when you when you describe the second language writers as such a diverse group, mm. it's just as easy to turn around in in say a country like America to say the same about the first language writers yeah, and, and the diversity yeah. that's represented there. And I wonder if sometimes second language writing isn't, let's say, identifying itself too closely with language learning. And not putting, you know, it should be writing in a second language. Put something up front that's really happening, I, um, and because the language itself matters amongst so many other variables, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, I think one thing that that an emphasis on on second language writing has has, has given us is the 
the recognition that writing is important. You know, I don't think there's a university anywhere now that doesn't have a writing centre or some kind of at least um, an office where students can go and get consultation about their texts. It, it's become important and it's become important in in um, native English speaking uh, context as well and in UK universities. Um, but um, and in fact, when we look at writing, I mean, I think this this kind of emphasizes what you're saying. Um, when we look at writing at advanced levels like PhDs or, or writing for publication, you know, language doesn't really come into it anymore. It's it's a rhetorical issue, um, and the, the, this crude native non-native polarization, I think, breaks down entirely. You know the. It, it, it's counterproductive because it demoralizes second language writers who are trying to get their PhD or, or publish in, in, in journals. And it ignores the very real writing problems experienced by, by native English speakers, by L1s. You know? So the L1s get ignored in favor of the L2s who get the courses, but everybody's unhappy um, because it's seen as a language issue rather than, as you say, a writing issue. Um, but native English speakers don't have an advantage when it comes to writing. They, they, they don't acquire writing naturalistically at their mother's knee, like, like speaking. Um, it in, they've got to invest time, effort, money, formally learning to write. And they experience, you know, the kind of difficulties that, that um, L2 writers have. So, I mean, my my mother was um, uh, was a hospital cleaner for most of her life. She could she could not write, you know, a a, 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 a paragraph, let alone a paper for publication, uh, you know, any more than she could fly to the moon. So, you know, this 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 dichotomy doesn't really uh, work when we're thinking about. Um, uh, uh, writing at, at these levels where we're, we're, we're putting our work out for general um, consumption with with critical peers. Well, uh, thank you very much. That is Ken Highland, and his book Second Language Writing is out in a second, dish, uh, second edition with Cambridge University Press in 2019. I'm Daniel Shea, and this is goodbye from me to Ken. Goodbye. Yeah, goodbye, Daniel. Goodbye, everyone. And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye-bye, and until next time here on Scholarly Communication. <laughs>